Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. Uh, we're down in verse 38 and 39 now. Uh, we introduced this uh, section here last time. And uh, again, we are, verse 38, he says, For I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And, and again, the, the categories, death and life, and uh, we got through those two. Today we're going to hopefully finish out. Um, that's the goal this morning is to finish the verses out, and then we'll have one more lesson in uh, the end of section two here uh, next time. Uh, again, in the context, we're not talking about death in a general manner. Uh, death as in it's appointed unto man once to die. We're not talking about death that man way. Rather, we're talking about a very specific death back in verse 36, where Paul go, uh, makes an allusion back to a parallel and makes a parallel with Psalms 44, and we've been through all of that, and that issue where he says we are killed all the day long. So this death and us being killed, it's on the basis of our identity in Christ. We suffer, again, verse 18 is the context, for I reckon that the suffering of this present time, so the context starts with suffering. Uh, really, it comes out of the end of, Verse 14, or I'm sorry, verse 17, if so be that we suffer with him. There's a suffering, we got that, connected with corrupt creation, being stuck here and so forth. And now we have this suffering because of who we are in Christ. And that's really what we're getting at in verse 38 and 39 is there's an intensification now in our suffering. You know, you suffer when you get sick. You know, some of you have been sick. That's a suffering, you know, and it's and you're gonna get through it. You hope you're gonna come out on the other end. You hope, you know, and all this. But now we're talking about something very specific. So being death here, being killed because of our identity in Christ, because we are ambassadors, because we take a stand, we're gonna take it in the neck. Then he says, nor death nor life. By the way, he says, for I am persuaded beyond. Doubt. Belief beyond doubt. No matter what comes, I'm not leaving the love of God. I'm not leaving the love of Christ. I'm not doubting it. Because what Paul's getting at is he's, he says, look, guys, verse 37, nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him. The more than the conquer. Again, that conquer ends the adversity, but our adversity doesn't end until we're dead. Absent from the body, present with the Lord, or the Lord. So it's not a ending the adversity. It, rather, it is the issue of using that adversity to our benefit, to our eternal benefit, to, to come in and to, to, uh, to take it and, and to turn it and have it work for us a far more and exceeding weight of glory. And that's really what's going on here. So the life, again, not just life in general, but what, is, what life are we to live? In verse 36, he says, we are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Look at the world's view. How does the world view you? How do your neighbors think about you? 
they don't think of, they look at you and what are you? You're just a sheep. You're just one of those dumb, thump, ignorant, redneck, whatever they throw at you, Christians. That's what you are. So life here, it, when you live the life of Christ and you have his life live out in you, when you run into the world, they don't look at you. They look at you like, I can run over you. I can abuse you. You, you look weak to them, when in reality, you're not weak. But that the view here, and again, what Paul is after is he's trying to hone in, finalize, crystallize in our thinking that no matter what comes up, God is for you, he loves you, he values you. Look at the, how intense he does that. That's what verse 32 and 33 and 34, coming out of 31 there. If God be for us, there's the for us doctrine. Who can be against us? There's the against us doctrine. So when you... Think, by the way, who's against you? Well, you've got the adversary and his plan, but you have yourself as well. You yourself can be an enemy in your bad thinking. You get off of who you are in Christ. You start thinking about things, and the next thing you know, the adversary, he's causing you to be separated from the love of God. So these items, verse 35 there, there's a list of seven of them that are events in life, personal hardships, personal anxiety, personal economic uh, hardships, per, uh, the, per, the societal issues come up against you, the government is against you, that's the sword reference. And when that happens, what can that cause you to do? It can say, you know what, I'm getting killed over here, and I'm not supposed to be killed, so what's going on here? And you begin to start doubting, is God really for you? And Paul's like, no, what are you? You're a, con you're a more than conqueror. He's not against you. He's on your side. He's, he, he's for you, not in a cheerleading thing, you know. We were watching the football games yesterday, and they show the cheerleaders, and the guy, he's not that way. He's for you in that he has completely equipped you to handle the details of life. We just have to... Get it under our thinking. So Paul says, I am persuaded, verse 38. Now he's going to give us ten creatures, ten entities here that are behind the list in verse 35. These are the, these are the agents that are going. Death here, the, the people come up and they attack you, kill you because of who you are in Christ. Life the world's view of you as just a sheep. That's what you are. And again, in our thinking, we're not sheep. We are what? We're ambassadors. I mean, you think about the difference between a sheep and an ambassador. That's a big difference when you consider that. Now in verse 38, the next category. Nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers. Now, these again are grouped together. And the, the, these here now are the, the next grouping of creatures, age entities. And the reason I say that's in verse 39 where he says, nor height, nor death, nor any other, what? Creature. These, this list is creatures. These are not just general death, general life. But what is an angel? An angel is a creature. The power and the, uh, the principalities nor powers, those are those governmental ranks and authorities that have 
creatures in it. Come over with me to Ephesians 6. They are real operatives. And they are operatives as rulers of darkness. And they use the doctrines of devils and seducing spirits. They use the satanic policy of evil to come in and to confuse the believer, to not understand who they are in Christ, to not go live the life of Christ. And in Ephesians 6, Paul starts verse 10, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood. Pause there for you need to remember that today. When your neighbor gets on you or an adversarial situation comes up, your battle is not with that person. That person needs to get saved, come to understand the word of God rightly divided. That's what they need. You're doing battle with what? But against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Our battle is with the guy behind your, the, the flesh and blood sitting in front of you. That's why we've been looking at the issue of Lucifer and different things in the, more, in the second hour because you need to understand that there's a whole system behind what you see in front of you. So when you see guys, when you, you know, you, I was, I, we, were, uh, we were in the West Valley the other day, and I took uh, Linda to visit her aunt. So I went over to, do you guys know the CAL Ranch store, the Cal Ranch, the big, okay? It's like tractor supply on steroids. So I'm in there, you know, looking around. I actually bought me a pair of work boots. It was pretty good. They were on sale, you know. So I'm in there looking around, and, uh, this guy's over here in the corner taking apart a package and slipping it into his pocket. Now, as uh, someone who's always aware of what's going on around him, I noticed it. And I, to, to steal, to be a thief, you have to have privacy. If somebody's looking at you, you're not going to do it. So I backed up because behind him, he doesn't know this, is one of the store workers watching him. I'm like, oh, okay, I'll get off the aisle now. So I, you know, was, was just browse. But what's behind that guy stealing? Well, we would say sin. But where, did that, where does that sin come from? It comes from spiritual wickedness. There's, a, there, there's an issue here that there are rulers of darkness. Hold on to Ephesians 6. Run back to chapter 2, just so you get this, since I said that. Look at chapter 2 of Ephesians, verse 2. Wherein in time past you walked according to what? The course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. You see, there's a spirit that works in the heathen. And it's a spirit of disobedience. There's a, now go back to Ephesians 6. There, there's this issue here, and he, Paul says, Look, guys, when he's, the angels, nor powers, nor principalities... They are not to move you off of who you are in Christ. They're not going to move you away from the love of God. Separation. Not in that you lose your salvation, but rather in the practical sense of functioning. Okay? Once you're saved, you're sealed, you never lose that. But man, you can sure go live a lousy life. We're not to do that. We're to live a godly life. 
6.12. The rulers of the darkness, they come along as those who want us, uh, want us to experience the wiles of the devil. Those tricks, the beguiling, the bewitching, the strong delusion that comes along. By the way, in verse 12, he says, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood. Wrestle. That's not WWE Smackdown on Monday night or Friday nights. Or, they were on Monday nights now, I thought I saw the other day. I don't know. I was just cruising through. You know, Linda goes away, and I get the house to myself. For, she's been gone since Wednesday, and I talked to her yesterday. I said, I'm ready for you to come home now. I'm bored. <laughs> you know? And most are like, what? what? I go, no, I'm bored. This is boring. You know, I, actually, it was not very boring at all, but... The thing is, is wrestling. It isn't that fake stuff. It's, it's that when you wrestle in high school and in college, I did it for two practices, and I said, that's it. I'm done. No more. But I had enough. You know, Man, they, those guys run, and they run, and I hate running. Why run when you can ride? You know, Why walk when you can ride? You know, They run, they run. But the thing is, is the coach kept saying, Rick, do this to get him off balance. They're going to wrestle. Their, their design is to throw you off balance. They're looking for an opportunity to throw you, to dissuade you to being and away from the love of, of the love of God. So the attack is designed to throw us off balance in order to get us to respond. To ju just like the rest of the world would respond. And they do that. And they do it through, well, they do it to get, by getting you to operate in, on the basis of ignorance, darkness. And that will lead you to doubt, to be separated from the love of God. They come in. I mean, sometimes we, you respond to stuff that happens, and you go, ah, I'm forgiven. But that's not the appropriate response. Yeah, are you forgiven? Yes. Look over, remember, look at 1 Timothy 5. Remember when we went down through in Romans 8 there about uh, who can lay the charge and who can condemn us? And I use this as an illustration, 1 Timothy 5, verse number 14. I will therefore that the young women marry, bear children, guide the house, give a nun occasion to the adversary to do what? To speak reproachfully. For some are already turned aside after Satan. Those folks didn't lose their salvation, but what's going on? Their life has now become a what? A reproach. Oh, but I'm forgiven. Yeah, but you have a life a testimony, they would call it. A life that needs to be lived. And when you respond the way that the world would respond, language, activity, you know, what, you know what you're doing? You're falling right into the trap of the rulers of darkness. Because what then does the world see? They, you, they see you respond the same way they are, so then you go over there and say, hey, do you know Christ died for your sins? And they go, yeah, right. What are you talking? Look at how you behaved. Look at how you spoke. And you say you're a believer and you talk and act like that? So then what happens in your thinking? Well, yeah, I guess so. I guess God, you know, 
Now go back to Ephesians 4. Uh, look at Ephesians 4. So when he talks here, he's not excusing bad behavior. He's like, guys, keep, in, keep your life where it needs to be. Because you've got an adversary that's looking for every opportunity to move you off of the love of God and away from the love of Christ. And if he can do that, then, and, and by the way, I, when I, I'll tell on myself, when I drove the water truck, it was real easy to t fall into the talk like everybody else talked. You know, every other word and all that stuff. Now, I'm not a big swearer, never could do it very well. I never grew up in a house with it being spoken. But, you know, every now and then you can let one just so you feel like you're part of the guys. That's wrong. Because I'm sitting here trying to talk to one guy about things, and he's like, well, what do you do on Sunday? So I'm telling him and everything because he was inviting me to the Cardinals tailgate party at his house and stuff and I had to say no and all this and we were talking he's like you go to church I go yeah you know I, I try to keep the pastor out of the conversation part at first otherwise they'll never talk to me they shut down they shut up they go oh here he comes and they go the other way and I'm like and I don't want that I want to have the inner the relationship but ultimately eventually it does come out and the one guy he's like yeah he's a pastor and I'm like hey come on okay you know but what happens is, is when you start talking like they talk, speech, they dismiss the spiritual stuff like that. So then what do you th say? You then go what? Well, I'm forgiven. I can talk that way. So, eh, whatever. And you blow off the fact that, no, you don't. And next thing you know, you're living your life over here in a realm that you should never have been in to begin with. And a little leaven leavens the whole lump, and that's the point. Look at Ephesians 4, verse 17. This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, that ye, and this will henceforth, walk not as other Gentiles walk in the vanity of their mind. Now, if Paul has to say that, then what is happening? At Ephesus, there's some beginning to walk like the Gentiles walk. Some of us do that. So here's the great church at Ephesus, the deep doctrine of the mystery truth, and what's happening? Some of them are doing what? Walking like the world looks. Having the, uh, the understanding, what? Darkened. Being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart. That's why I said these guys work in the realm of ignorance. And they come in and they say, hey... Come over to 2 Corinthians chapter 11. And they begin to move you. They begin to, they begin to shift you. Now, 2 Corinthians 11, here's what these guys look like. 2 Corinthians 11, verse 13. Here's what they look like. For such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into the apostles of Christ, and no marvel, for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. Therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers also be transformed as the ministers of righteousness, whose end shall be according to their works. What do they do? They project themselves as ministers of righteousness. 
an angel of light. Now, Lucifer, Satan, is not an angel. He's a cherub. But what does the angels in Scripture do? They bring the Word of God, don't they? They will speak. Gabriel shows up, looks at Daniel, and says, The Word of the Lord is this. They're ministering spirits. So literally here, what Paul's telling you in verse 14 is Satan has put himself in the position of being and speaking for God. But what does he use? He doesn't use the gutter talk. He uses religion. He uses ministers of righteousness. But what what are they really? Darkness. Rulers of the dark. Spiritual wickedness. So in our, in our illustration a minute ago, here you are, or here I am, and you use a little bleep word, and, and they find out you go to church, and then the next thing you know, you're like, you know what, but man, Rick's just going to get on me for using a bad word. First of all, how does Rick know unless you do what? Tell me. Okay. But you have to be open for reproof and correction. We all do. But the thing is, is, then one of them, you know, then you get to thinking, well, I'm not going to go back there. I'm going to go over here. And what do you find? You find another church that will do what? Love you and accept you for who you are. And the next thing you know, you're in something that you should never have been in to begin with, and you got moved over here because you thought there was going to be a condemnation issue. See? So what has he done? He's... What has the angels and the principalities and the powers, what have they done? They've gotten you away from where you need to be. By the way, verse 15 there, the end of that verse, whose end shall be according to their works. You know what God says? They say we're ministers of righteousness. We use the Bible. Don't you know it? We put, we'll even put it on the overhead so you don't have to bring your Bible with you. You know what God says? No, they are darkness. They're not representatives of my righteousness. You're in Christ. So the world looks at us as what? Weak, foolish. And yet God says, nope, you've already won the victory. Go back to Romans 8. You're already mine. You're already good. You are good to go. You're victorious. You are a more than conqueror. Okay? Then he says, verse 38, the next group, nor things present, nor things to come. Now think about this. Death, very specific. Being, being killed because of who we are in Christ. Life, we're living the life of Christ in the moment, and the world jumps on you. The angelic realm, the angels, the prince, those rulers of darkness are the source behind. And they're pushing and they're pounding. Remember a couple of weeks ago we were talking about how Satan attacks and he's looking for a, a weak point in, the, in, in a breach in the wall. And they just pound on you and they pound on you and they pound on you. And eventually, you know what you're going to do? If you're doing it in the energy of yourself, you're going to cave. They're, he's going to get you. But if you do it in the energy of you're a more than conqueror, if you do it in the energy of the love of God who you are in Christ, then he's not going to breach the wall. Then he says things present, things to come. 
So the question is, is, all right, what are the things present? What are the things to come? And how can they lead us to be separated from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord? Well, again, in the context, the things present in the context is back to verse 18. What's the context? The suffering of this present time. So today, in the dispensation of grace, come over to Galatians 1, presently, we have a reality to confront. And what is that reality? We're going to suffer. So the things present is going to have to do with the issue of understanding the present suffering. But there's a little bit more going on here, as we've been seeing. Galatians 1, look at verse 4. Who gave himself for our sins, talking about the Lord Jesus Christ, that he might deliver us from this, what? Present, what kind of world? Evil world. According to the will of God and our Father. Notice he's talking about this present evil world. He's talking about the current status of the world. He's talking about things that are present right here. The situation that you and I find ourselves in today. We understand, we, or we, I should say, we need to be understanding the present situation. You see, the dispensation of grace has nothing to do with a rehab program. He's not rehabbing man. He's not rehabbing uh, the world. He's not rehabbing anything. What's he doing today? He's taking and forming the church, the body of Christ, so that we can go and reconcile the heavenly places. When does he rehab the earth? Reconcile the earth. When he comes back and all that. See, so when we begin to understand what is he doing right now, why did he leave you and I here? That's a great question. Because we're suffering. We're taking, I mean, oh, it's, oh you know. Have you ever woke, I woke up yesterday morning at 2.30 in the morning, just boop up, went in, got a cup of coffee. By the way, coffee usually kind of lays me back down, puts me to sleep. The caffeine, I don't get the kick you guys get. I get the snoozes, okay? So I go, I do that, I feed the dogs, I do every, I do all my, and I'm sitting there going, I'm awake. So let's just get dressed and go on with the day. Problem is, it's now it's 4 o'clock in the morning, and nobody else in the world's up except for the workers, you know. Have you get that? And you just, you just, the insomnia of can't go back to sleep. Yesterday afternoon, we got home. I got home, finishing up for this morning, watching the Alabama football game. And then you know what I was doing? Next thing I know, it's like third quarter, fourth, and we're killing them, which was good because I was asleep. It's like, you know. So about 7 o'clock, I ate a little dinner, and then I went to bed, you know. That's a suffer for me, okay? That's suffering. We understand why that is, what's going on. When it comes now to the things that are present, he did, right now today, he's not rehabbing. Jesus Christ came into the world to do what? Save sinners. Not teach people, teach bad people how to be good. He came in the world 
to give dead people life. That's what he came in the world. And he's, he's forming that new creature, that new species of humanity, the body of Christ, with the purpose of using it in a future program and plan. And the things present, we're currently in the enemy's territory. We are in the present evil world. And the present condition of the world about us, and this is the part we have to kind of grasp, is that it's not a friend. The world is not your friend. Actually, they're not going to help you. Oh, yeah, but my neighbor did. Nuh-uh. He did in the moment. We're talking about, we're not talking about, we're talking big scene here. But look at Galatians 1.4 again. Who gave himself for our sins. He came in the world to save sinners. That, the purpose and the intent, he might do what? Deliver us. That's God's objective. That's his goal, is to deliver you. Now, he does that through resurrection into the heavenly places and so forth in the program. But his objective is to deliver us. So the things present has everything to do with the course and the spirit and the, the current situation of the whole world system. And it can lead the believer to think, operate, function as though they are separated from the love of God. And again, separation, not functionally, not positionally, functionally. Because what happens? I tell you what, there's some good-looking toys out there. I got a new one back here, all right? But, you know, you get to looking at the boats and the skis. This, I don't ski, but the ski dunes, the watercrafts. You get to looking at that stuff, and what begins to happen? Yeah, yeah, we'll go to church next week. We're going to go play today. Oh, yeah, we're going to do this. And you th think about, most of you, I, maybe, think about when your kids, for your older folks, were little. When did they play sports? On Friday night or Saturday, right? Because Sunday was what? Going to church. Sunday was the Lord's Day all day, and we didn't do it. We just, right? But then what happened now? Saturday's the play day. Now we go do, and Sunday we do sports. Saturday's something else. Sunday we do sports. So got what, what got pushed off the table? Church. The Lord's Day, as they say. Okay? Why? Now what happens? You, you know what you do? You and I do? Folks, I would rather, much rather today be in Flagstaff with my wife Riding the gondola ride to look at the tree color changing. Now, that's a pull of the world. By the way, you know what my wife would say? No, you don't. You'd rather be in church. And I would. Don't get me wrong, okay? But the thing is, is that's what's happening. And we need to understand that there's that pull. And what that begins to do functionally is move us away from the love of God. Now, in God's eyes, there is no difference, no, no difference, no distance at all between you and him ever. You're his. You're his son. You're in his son. You are the son of God. Yet in our thinking, guess what? We can get removed in our mind. 
and we can get, we can lose our focus and we can move over into something, into some realm that we shouldn't be in. Now, again, in his mind, we didn't go anywhere. We're right there, positionally. We're talking functionally. Look over at, with me at 2 Corinthians chapter 2. 2 Corinthians chapter 2. I hope you follow what Paul's getting at here. I don't think we might not get but these one verse done, but that's okay. I didn't want to run through these on purpose, okay? Look at 2 Corinthians 2. Look at verse 14. Now thanks be unto God, which always causes us to triumph in Christ, and maketh manifest the Savior of his knowledge by us in every place. Now notice the language here. Now thanks be unto God, which always causes us to what? Triumph. We are more than conquerors. We triumph. We're going to turn the trouble to our eternal benefit. Now think about this. How can anyone who has lost it all claim to be triumphant? Remember Paul? He had a great religious career going in the Jews religion and what does he say I counted it all but lost he lost it all to do what to win Christ and to know him and to do something else how can anyone make that statement because in the it, they can only you can only make this statement of triumphing always when you're looking at it through the eyes of who you are in Christ because when you step back and you look at it in your, your fleshly eyes, I just lost it all. You're devastated. But in the eyes of who you are in Christ, what are you? I'm a more than conqueror. I'm triumphal. You know what? This whole world can have it all. They can take it, and we'll be okay. Verse 15. For we are, now watch, unto God a sweet savor of Christ. Think about that. Unto who? Unto God. In God's eyes, what are you? You're, arom you're a perfume. You're a sweet smell. You're aromatic. You're aromatic. You've got a great aroma about you. Ever walk by somebody and it's like, dude, you needed to take a shower like four days ago, you know? And you go, oh. No, to God, you know what, it's just that, and then, have you, you ever get a smell in your nose, and, and every time, you know, of grandma's house or something, and you hear, you sniff, you're like, wow, I can remember back, man, that never leaves God. That's why I said in God's eyes, there's no distance between you and him. But man in the world's eyes, what is it? It's absolute foolishness. You guys are a, you guys are a bunch of losers. Wrong, wrong L, sorry. Losers. You, what are you? You're a total, and you look like sheep to the slaughter. So the things present can cause us to begin to walk away from that sweet smell. By the way, verse 15, he says, in them that are saved and in them that perish, 
To the one, we are the savor of death unto death. We've got a smell. The world smells us. And how does the world smell us? Death unto death. You guys are a bunch of fools. You're crazy. Why don't we just help you out? You think you're going to go be absent from the body and present with the Lord? Let us help you out. Bam. I think some of the most shocked people in the universe will be when the Lord comes back. It will be the heathen. Because, uh-oh. But then he says, and to the other, savor of life unto life. Wow. To the world, we're what? Death. But to other believers, man, what are we? Woo. Can't wait to hug you. Can't wait to be around you. And that's what life in Christ smells like. Here in 2 Corinthians, come over to chapter 6. Chapter 6 here. Last time we looked at this in verse 4, but in all things approving ourselves as the ministers of God in much patience and afflictions in distresses and necessities and stripes and imprisonments and tumults and labors and watchings and fastings. And I said, boy, what life that is when we're talking about death nor life. life. What a life to live right there. But now watch verse 8. By pureness, by knowledge, by long-suffering, by kindness, by the Holy Ghost, by love unfeigned, by the word of truth, by the power of God, by the armor of righteousness on the right hand and on the left, by honor and dishonor, by evil report and good report, as deceivers and yet true. Look at that. that how, how do you have that life? You do it by who you are in Christ. But look at verse 10. Look at how the world looks at you. I'm sorry, verse 8. By honor and what? Dishonor. They, they look at you like you're nuttier than a fruitcake that's been in the cupboard for 50 years. By evil report. Remember Paul says, I have a, I got, I'm evilly evil spoken of. I got this attack. And yet what are we? True. We're good. As deceivers, but yet True. John 17, the Lord looks at his disciples and he says, the world hates me, the world's going to hate you. And that's exactly, now come back to Romans 8, what the things present is all about. Then he says, nor things to come. Now, the things to come, this is not the rapture, okay? He's, again, contextually, where are we? Where have we been talking about? Right here, right now, in the present. He's not talking about the millennial kingdom, the second coming, the 70th week, the great white throne judgment, the dispensation of... All of that's coming. We're in Romans 8. we got to deal with where? Right now. So the things to come here, again, in the context, isn't the future stuff out there, but if we understand the present reality, the present situation that we live in and that we're to function in, the natural question that comes up is, is what's going to happen if the Lord tarries and doesn't return and we live on out our life? What hap what's going to happen? So he's talking about 
the future of, now, of you now. Paul, the Lord Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit, never says that the future will improve. Come over to 2 Timothy 3. You and I, we try to think, and this is, we were talking a little bit yesterday about some of this after the study, the men's fellowship. You and I, sometimes we think that if we do A, B, and C, it'll get better. You know what? Quit thinking that way. It isn't going to get better. Well, maybe we'll just slow it down. It, look, when the asphalt roller wants to roll over you, it's going to roll over you. Whether it does it at 5 miles or 10 miles isn't the issue. It's still going to do what to you? Flatten you out. Okay? And you need to understand that because God, the Lord, the, 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 the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, the Apostle Paul, says that the future will never improve. And the status of the believer in the world is that they will hate you. They will not love you. They will not come to your defense. So when you think about what you do in your life, you need to remember that. If the Lord tarries, it's not going to get better. Now, we do, you think about your career, you know, you guys that are retired and folks that are working, you think about your career. If I get this promotion, it'll get better and easier. Does it? No. The issues just compound. Well, if I get over here, if I make a lateral move, it'll be so much easier. No. It'll just compound. You see, it's never designed here on the issue of getting better. So the things to come is a reference to, really to the intensification of the world's hatred for God and for his believers. It's going to get worse. You hear the politicians, you're spending your grandchildren's money, <laughs> baloney. You're spending the money, you're doing it now. Not, they could care less about your grandkids. So then, so, you know, okay, well, we can vote and fix it. No, you can't. It's going to get worse. Now, I'm not against voting. You do your civil duty, civic, civil, civic duty. But the thing is, is don't go into it with a, I'm going to change the system. No, you're not. Do you know who changes the system? The Lord Jesus Christ, when he comes back on that stallion, it isn't going to change. How do I know that? 2 Timothy 3, look at verse 1. I know, what that, I know what that makes you feel. I got kids. Believe me. Oh, man, I want the world better for my kids than, you know. But you have to go in it with the what? With reality. With your eyes wide open, as they like to say. So what do you do? You train your children to function in the present evil world. You equip them with what they need to know about who they are in Christ. And you equip them to go into that world and to live, as Paul will tell you, a quiet and peaceable life. You follow that? Okay, so the things to come isn't about a future rapture or any of that. It's about, hey, if the Lord tarries, how's life going to be? Well, look at 3.1. This know also that in the last days, what? Perilous times shall come. Perilous, dangerous times will come. Paul tells you, if the Lord tarries, and by the way, this is 2 Timothy, where is Paul? He's in prison, sitting under the threat of the knife of Nero, king of Rome. 
He's not in exactly, and Nero has him, a Roman citizen, not because he broke a bunch of laws, but simply because he's out preaching the word. By the way, Paul doesn't know whether he has a death sentence or not yet. Because they're, you know, every, we always think the court system like we run is how the world runs. You know, where you're, you, well, where's the defendant? Well, they're not here. All right, we'll uh, postpone it. No. What's the ruling? Death. The defendant isn't in the room. He's down being held. See, they had a whole different system of doing things. We tend to have this idea that we have the right to stand in front of our accuser. Paul didn't have that. So what does he say? Perilous times shall come, evil times, dangerous times. For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boastous, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful. That's why I always tell you, thankfulness is what keeps you out of acting like and being like a heathen. You're to be thankful. And you read from verse 2 down to verse 11. And you begin to see the, uh, well, verse two, 2 down, you know, well, pick up in verse 12. There you begin to see a description of why it's a perilous times. Now watch verse 12. Yea, and all that will live godly, will, function of your inner man. You made a choice to do what? Live godly, shall, or live godly in Christ Jesus, shall suffer persecution. If the Lord tarries, what's the condition going to be? Bad. Verse 13, but evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse. Deceivers and being deceived. It's not going to get better. The future will only get worse. The present is, I mean, you think about it, right now, it's bad. How, how much worse can it get? And now we live in the greatest country in the world. Well, just look over. I don't know if you've paid attention to what happens in the rest of the world. It's not a good sight. It's not a good scene. And it just shows you where evil, the, the degenerative nature of sin goes. Come over to chapter, well, verse 14. I love that, but. Oh, come on, Paul. You see, it's going to get worse and worse. Verse 14, but. Continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing of them who thou, whom thou hast learned them. You know what our job is? Not to fight the system. Our job is to do what? Continue as who we are in Christ. I, told, I, I made the comment last Sunday, or the Sunday before, in the second hour, the amount of sound doctrine in a nation determines the direction of the nation. This country used to have quite a bit of sound doctrine in it, fund, in, in, in believers or non-believers. Unbelievers, even though they didn't believe in the gospel, they still had a moral foundation to them. They don't anymore. So what's going to happen? It's going to get bad. What are we to do? We're to continue in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them. Chapter 4, verse 1, I charge thee before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick 
and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. Preach the word. Be instant in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and doctrine. For the time will come where they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. Come back to chapter eight, Romans 8. There's the rulers of the darkness, the ministers of righteousness, and what have they done? They've gotten the believer away from. Now, in 2 Timothy, as you go back to Romans 8, that list in chapter 3 is believers doing it to believers. People who, who believe that Christ died for their sins, was buried, and rose again, have come to understand right division, and have left the sound doctrine. And left the right division issues. So when he says they're going to wax, men shall be deceivers and wax worse and worse, when you look around at internet land, what do you see? You see guys who started off great, right on the money, teaching the word, and now what are they doing? They're teaching heresy for the love of, a pat on the back or for whatever, recognition. And you see that. That's who's doing it to the... Ones who, but continue thou in what? Sound doctrine. The guy's continuing in the sound doctrine. The other guys have left. They're off doing something else. You, you follow that? That's how this is working. They have left functionally their identity in Christ. And they're getting their identity in themselves and in something else. And it's dangerous. Now, verse 39. Nor height, nor depth, nor depth, nor any other creature. Come on, uh, so we got this last little group here. This is the climactic point of all of this. Height, depth, or any other creature. When we understand the list here, well, let me say it like this. Verse 39 helps us understand leads us to understand that the list here of death and life and things present, things to come, principalities, powers, and angels, has to do with operatives, real. These are creatures that uh, are occupying and functioning in, that, in the heavenly places, the spiritual wickedness in heavenly places, the rulers of darkness. They're behind the scenes. Okay, so if tribulations and pay, uh, tribulations and distresses and persecutions and famines and nakedness and peril or sort are what's going on behind the scenes, there's a there's operatives pulling the strings with the goal of getting you to separate yourself from the love of Christ, verse 35, and the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord, verse 39. We understand that. Now, notice that Paul says height or depth. He doesn't understand, he doesn't understand, he doesn't say length, breadth, height, and depth. He just says height nor depth. Now, that's important here. Come back with me to Proverbs 25. There's a reason why he just says those two dimensional issues because we understand height and depth 
We understand the length and the breadth and the height and the depth. We understand those dimensions. But he only uses two because he's dealing with the issue nor of any other creature. He's not dealing with dimensions, but rather he's dealing with this creature issue. Those operatives. Do you follow that? The entity thing. The agents. The ministers of righteousness that belong to Satan. Okay? Now, look at Proverbs 25 and look at verse 3. The heaven for what? For height and the earth for depth. And the heart of kings is unsearchable. Notice how scripture says heaven equals what? Height. And depth equals earth. You see that? So in Romans 8, when you come back to Romans 8, and Paul says, height, heaven, there's creatures in the heaven realm working, depth, the earth, there's some creatures working over here in the earth. Then he says, nor what? Any other creature, just in case there's something, one out there we missed. You follow? Okay. So no matter what comes up against you, nothing can do what? Separate you from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, think about this. In verse 35, we have seven specific areas or circumstances or events that can cause us to go live life defeated. Then in verse 38 and 39, he lists the ten operatives that are behind those seven events, pulling those strings. But then what about the heaven and the earth? Well, those operatives have a connection to the creature comment. Who's in charge of the present situation. The adversary is. Now think about that. We know that, that all of these in the list are what? Against us, right? They're not for us. They're against us. So now what we're going to learn about is that Satan has it all under his control except for the third heaven. And again, who ha think about who has control of the heaven and the earth. Who has control over the other creature? Who has that? Satan does. Okay? Now, get two passages. Get Isaiah 14 and Job 1. Job 1. Isaiah 14. And we're going to do this quickly so we can wrap this up because we're almost out of time. But you just got to think about this. Now, Paul is making an allusion to this in 8. In Ephesians He's going to go in greater detail about it, okay? But he's getting you set right here, right now in time. Isaiah 14, look at verse 12. How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer? Again, a prophetic look at what he said in the past as he's being cast into the lake of fire in the future, okay? What does he say? How art, thou, how art thou cut down to the ground, which didst weaken the nations? For thou hast said in thine heart. So this is an activity of his will. What did he say? I will do what? Ascend into where? Heaven. There's the height. I will 
exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. Do, do you see the, the language here? Ascend, sit, throne, get above it all. He's talking about authority. He's talking about ruling. Who sits on a throne? A king does. Proverbs 25, 3 there where we were just a minute. He says, uh, heaven is the heights and earth is the depth is the earth. And king, and the heart of the kings is what? Unsearchable. Where did he say this? He said this in his heart. So Satan launches his rebellion program in the heavens. Now look at Job chapter 1. Job chapter 1. In Job chapter 1 and 2, the Lord has called the angelic creation to, to the sides of the north to give an accounting of themselves, of their activities and what they've been doing. By the way, that's what you do in government. You give an accounting of your activity. The, the, the job list is given and you go and do your part on that and you give an accounting of it. Verse 6, now there was a, in a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan came also among them. By the way, that's how you know that the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north is in the second heaven, not in the third heaven, because Satan is banned from the third heaven. He's been cast out. We didn't finish reading that in Isaiah 14 and in Ezekiel 28. He's been removed from that position of the covering over the throne. Cover, the cherub that covereth. He's, so we're in the second, we're in that, we're out there where they just shot those guys up there trying to th look like they're important, okay? And what does he say? Verse 7, And the Lord said unto Satan, Whence comest thou? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro in the heaven. No, now where? In the earth. And from walking up and down in it. Now... Satan, where have you been? Satan says, I've been in the earth. His rebellion plan started in the heaven, and now it is extended down into the earth. And, it look, and when that is going on, what does the world look at? The world looks at that and says what? Satan won. Come over to Ephesians 2. Satan is the victor. Satan has won the day. There's been no one to challenge Satan. There's been, we're going to take five more minutes if you guys are, so we can get this finished, okay? It, it looks like Satan won in this rebellion in the heaven. Now, God stops that with the creation of hell. But then in creation, what did God create? He created man to do what? Subdue and reclaim and have dominion over to go and, and, he's, and he's made in our image. He's made in our likeness. Our image. When he says that, he, Adam and Eve... Humanity put on God's uniform. I was watching soccer this morning because I was up early again. Not at 2.30, but I was up. And so the, the match was on. And you know how you can tell the teams apart? They have uniforms. Adam, humanity put God's uniform on. It happens to be a uniform of light. Okay? They were God's representative. Satan looks at them says, I can get this real quick. Watch this. And then the light went out. They lost their uniform. And you know what it looks like? Satan won. 
But God says, that's okay, I got a, I got a plan. Let me relax. And as Mr. T and the A-team would say, I love it when a plan comes together, and he does, and then all of a sudden, he get down to he, where he sends the Lord Jesus Christ, and where did he end up? On the cross, and what does it look like? Satan won again. He killed him. But yet, what does God say? Not so fast. In the word of God, guess what? I win, you lose. And that hasn't happened yet, has it? Not in our reality. Now, in God's mind, it's done. Romans 4, it's good. But in our reality, you know what? Everything still looks like Satan has won. So what does the world say? You lost, your God lost, my God has won. You got Ephesians 2? Look at verse 2. Wherein in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air. That's Satan's official title today. He's the prince, that is the chief ruler, the power, the government authority, the air, the invisible realm. He is the chief ruler of the governing authority in the invisible realm. There he is. The world says he's won, you lose. And you know what God says? Come over to 1 Corinthians 8, or 1 Corinthians 1. God expects his people to operate on the basis of faith, not sight. God expects you and I to walk by faith, not by sight. Faith in his word, and what does his word say? Well, you look at 1 Corinthians 1. You start in verse number 18, and you read down, read verse 25 with me, because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Verse 18, he starts it, For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved it is the power of God. And he describes how the world looks at this and how we are to be working at the world. When the world says it's foolish, God says, nope, it's strength. So when you come back here to Romans 8.39, the height and the depth in any other creature, he's talking about, the satanic policy of evil as it has come down through the heaven and the earth and is the controlling authority. And then he looks over there and he says, nor any other creature, just in case somebody got under the radar, can do what? Shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. In God's mind, there's no distance between us so in our mind, there should never be any distance between us. And Paul starts it by saying, for I am persuaded. And that's where we need to be. We need to be fully persuaded to be the more than conqueror. And that's what Paul's getting down and crystallizing in our thinking. Okay? We made it. Woo! Now, next week we'll do a little more, we'll kind of wrap up the section, and then we'll get into the third section the following week, okay? All right. Dearly Father, we thank you for the morning, Lord. We thank you for your word, for the instruction here, and for the wonderful 
relaxing and securing and assuring doctrine of who we are in Christ and that no matter what comes our way, we'll never lose that, we'll never be separated from your love. In your name we pray, amen.